Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Here we are at midweek. I'm back from my trip to Iowa. Glad that you're with us. Always appreciate you letting us be part of your day. We're going to be talking about uh, CFAP on the program today. We'll get an update on how that is going. We'll talk with the state executive director for the Farm Service Agency from the state of Iowa and get the, the overall, the national numbers and how it's going and what's the latest. And we'll kind of look at how it's going in that state of Iowa as well. We're also going to be talking with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist for Stone X. We'll be talking about trade. We'll be talking about markets as we head into harvest. We're also going to talk with a pioneer agronomist today. I talked with him yesterday while in Iowa about the storm damage. Uh, it was, as I, I mentioned this yesterday, I mean, you can see pictures of it, you can hear and read stories about it, but until you see it in person, see it up close, uh, it doesn't really, the impact doesn't hit you as hard until you, you're there, and then you see it, and it's just, I mean, the, it just hits you so hard. It's so sad to see that much destruction and crops laying flat on the ground and the structural damage. We're going to talk with an agronomist about what he is seeing and kind of his assessment of the situation throughout uh, central Iowa. That's coming up on our program later on. But we're going to start things off today with this latest between the U.S. and Brazil on ethanol tariffs. Of course, the story yesterday that uh, eth- that Brazil will be putting back on the tariff on U.S. ethanol going in there. Now the story today is that maybe... Brazil is considering reapplying a tariff-free quota on American ethanol imports for 90 days. Um, let's get the latest on this. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, is with us. Jeff, what is the latest? Well, Mike, uh, you, you teed it up pretty well there. I mean, for the past three years, Brazil has had a 20% tariff on U.S. ethanol imports, but they have allowed a certain amount uh, in tariff-free, and, and last year that tariff-free quota was about 200 million gallons, uh, but that quota expired on Monday, and Brazil took no action on the, on their tariff, and so today uh, that 20% tariff would apply to all U.S. ethanol going into Brazil, and that's obviously not what we want to see in our top export market. Uh, but now, as you mentioned, it is being reported that discussions are ongoing around a, a possible extension 90 days of that tariff-free quota. Uh, there has not been any official word from Brazil on whether that's going to happen or not. It sounds like things are still very much in flux. Uh, and, and honestly, you know, a 90-day extension would sort of be a, a hollow gesture from the Brazilians, not a long-term solution, certainly not the, the long-term certainty that we're looking for uh, in that marketplace. Any word on whether if that tariff stays in place will the u.s retaliate well we've heard president trump himself say that uh, the u.s would uh, retaliate if, if brazil uh, leaves in place this 20 percent tariff uh, and applies it to all u.s ethanol imports uh president trump said we're we, you know we need to look at taking reciprocal action and, and we certainly agree with that uh would prefer uh no tariffs on on either end and and you know long term we think the solution is is free trade and that's what we had with Brazil for five years before this quota and tariff were put into place a few years ago. So, uh, but but yes, I mean the short answer is is yes. If 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 Brazil is going to slap this tariff on all U.S. imports, uh, we feel like our government needs to respond in kind 
and uh, take the steps necessary to achieve that level playing field. Well, a 90-day exemption obviously gets it past the election, but it would be just one more huge issue hanging over the ethanol industry uh, out there once the election is over. Yeah, it you know, unfortunately, it's um, just a, an- another kick of the can, and it does get you into late November uh, past the election. Um, and, and these are the sort of, you know, stops and starts and, and uh, uncertainty and, and instability uh, that we're seeing not just in, in our trade, uh, you know, trade discussions, uh, but obviously here in the domestic market as well with the RFS. Um, and we're, we're in desperate need of some certainty, some policy certainty around both trade and implementation of the renewable fuel standard here at home, and, and we're just not getting that. Jeff, what's the latest on the court battle to defend E15 sales? Well, very recently we did file a, a brief uh, in that lawsuit. Uh, RFA is an intervener on behalf of EPA. This is one one lawsuit where we're on the same side as, as EPA, and we are uh, defending the rule that EPA published to allow year-round E15. The oil industry, of course, is, is trying to stop that rule. Um, so all the paperwork is in, all the filings are in, the briefings are in. We expect oral arguments soon and, and should should expect to see a decision uh, from the court you know, sometime early next year. Um, of course, we've had E15, year-round E15 in the marketplace for more than a year now. No problems, no issues, no reports from consumers or retailers or anybody else about problems. Uh, so we hope this is an open and shut case for, for the court and, and we can move on. Meanwhile, with all the the excitement and interest in Chinese purchases of U.S. ag products, we're still not seeing them buy any ethanol products. No, we're not, and that's another frustration on the trade front for us. I mean, we're, we're obviously seeing what's happening with, with corn um, and soybeans and, and other products with, with China, but we are still not exporting a drop of ethanol to China, uh, nor are we sending any distiller's grains. And China was once our leading market for distiller's grains exports, about half of all U.S. exports of that co-product went to China, uh, and it was our third leading market for ethanol. And today that market remains closed to both products, uh, and that's been a tremendous drag on profitability and, and really uh, through supply and demand into an imbalance uh, prior to all the COVID disruptions that we saw. So China continues to be uh, an, an issue and a top priority for us, and, and we hope a top priority uh, for our uh, government negotiators as they continue to, to you know, work with the Chinese on implementation of this Phase 1 deal. And still no word from EPA on these uh, pending waiver requests? Uh, that's right. No word from EPA. We've got, uh, they've got 98 pending uh, requests or petitions for more small refinery exemptions. Um, EPA has already given out 85 exemptions over the past three years. Uh, that has eliminated 4 billion gallons of, of RFS blending requirements. Uh, so if EPA were to grant another 98, you know, we're looking at another 4, 4.5 billion gallons of RFS requirements that would be, you know, erased from the books. And uh, we already know the damage that that's caused our industry, and we simply cannot afford uh, to see EPA granting more of those exemptions, especially when we have a court decision from last January uh, telling them to stop. So it's it's a, another issue that we continue to keep our eye on, Mike.
Yeah, biofuels industry is taking a lot of hits right now. All right, Jeff, thanks for the update. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. You too. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, we'll talk with the state executive director from Iowa for the Farm Service Agency. We're going to talk about CFAP. We'll have the uh, national numbers and uh, any uh, details coming down yet. Are they hearing anything on CFAP 2.0 that may be coming after Labor Day? Secretary Purdue has talked about that. Is, uh, are there any details out there? We'll find out next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as talk continues about a possible CFAP 2.0 after Labor Day, we're trying to keep track of the CFAP 1, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, and we've been uh, getting uh, weekly updates. Today, we talk with the State Executive Director from Iowa for the Farm Service Agency, Amanda DeYoung, with the latest. Amanda, thank you for joining us. Uh, Where are we nationally now as far as how much money has gone out through CFAP? Thanks for having me, Mike. Good morning. Uh, Yes, we are at $9.4 billion as of Monday morning. That's to 570, just over 576,000 applicants. So making great progress. Uh, You have a call line that the producers can call and get more information. Are they using that? Are you getting a lot of calls? We have had, um, we've had a lot of calls coming in to our 1-877-508-8364 call center number. It's a great place for producers to start with. Um, we can serve both English and non-English speaking customers there. Really help producers understand what they need to fill the application out first. Um, and a lot of people are getting it, getting it done there. If they need more help, obviously our local service centers are always there to provide great service. You started giving 80% out and then now 20%, the other 20% going out too. How is that going? That's been going great. For the applications that we already had taken uh, earlier this summer, uh, we started issuing those that extra 20% um, right away. Most of that is complete. And then producers that are coming in today through the deadline, which is right around the corner next Friday, uh, we're paying 100%. What kind of questions do you get? I mean, are there, are there still producers calling in that are totally unfamiliar with CFAP? Well, just back on August 11th, uh, we did add a lot of additional commodities, uh, 60 additional specialty crops here in Iowa, um, frozen and liquid eggs. Uh, Iowa's a huge egg producer. We've got aquaculture crops added, nursery crops, and cut flowers. So for those segments, um, yeah, we are getting a lot of questions um, because they hadn't been eligible before. So we're walking them through the application process, what they need to provide, where their crops fit in what category. So, yeah, definitely doing a lot of outreach right now to those groups. We're talking with Amanda DeYoung, Iowa State Executive Director for the Farm Service Agency. How has uh, the participation in CFAP been? How's the interest been in your state of Iowa? Uh, it's been excellent. Um, Iowa is running number one. Not that it's a competition, but um, 
Iowa and Nebraska, we've certainly been at the top since the inception of the program. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. To, it was hard to estimate going into this exactly how many producers we were going to see because some of our, especially in our livestock types, uh, we don't see those customers every year like we have um, with our row crop productions. So uh, we went into it a little uh, with a more of a guess about what we would see um, for numbers of producers, but the outreach has been great. The trade associations have done a fantastic job helping us get the word out during COVID because, right, we're, we're not doing the regular farm meeting cycles and field days and things that we normally have in the summer where we'd be out talking about it. So um, we really appreciate the partnerships that we've got out there who've helped us get the word out. Yeah, for sure. These are challenging times. You can't do business as usual. And you are dealing with a lot of people who have never really signed up for a program, a government program like this uh, in the past. Uh, how difficult is it when for someone who is signing up for CFAP? If you're a brand new producer, uh, we certainly are going to take time. Our local staff is going to take time to walk you through the requirements. Um, if you're a returning producer, it's, it's probably not rocket science. You're already going to have eligibility paperwork on file with us. Um, but for that new producer, you're going to have to understand or we're going to help you understand um, that we have adjusted gross income limitations. If you're an entity, what direct attribution means, who's actually eligible to receive payments in your entity, um, that you need to be in compliance um, with conservation practices, with highly erodible land um, and wetland compliance. But that's what our staff is there for. We're there to walk the producer through the process. And so uh, we hope we try to make it as painless as, and efficient as possible. That's our ultimate goal. Um, to give the customers that great service. So you're now past the halfway point. Of, you have $16 billion, You're now at $9.4 billion that's gone out. Uh, many have made uh, a point of, and certainly I have as well, of uh, being surprised that the money has not gone out faster. Uh, thought there would be such a huge demand that it would have gone much quicker than this. Any thoughts on the pace of the payments? It felt, it felt extremely fast um, for our county offices, right? Um, the, there was a rush, an absolute onslaught. And I'm speaking from an Iowa perspective right now. There was an onslaught when the program opened up in July. Um, it certainly has trickled, trickled down um, interest as we have had some additional commodities come on that has spurred things up a little bit again. But certainly... You know, when we were facing the initial fallout of COVID, I mean, nobody knew where this was going. There was a lot of uncertainty. We had volatile market conditions. And there were some conservative assumptions that needed to be used in developing CFAP, CFAP so that we could ensure that we could cover everybody. Um, and these conservative assumptions, um, as well as some of the requirements that I mentioned earlier, you know, that producers um, have, you know, understand what the payment limit excuse me, what the payment limitations are, um, that there's an adjusted gross income limit, um, that we were initially paying that 80% to be sure that we could cover everyone. You know, those were done um, to, in, like I said, ensure that all of agriculture that needed it could benefit. Um, Secretary Purdue has been talking about a possible CFAP 2.0 after Labor Day, but we really haven't had any details on that. Are you hearing anything about it? 
I do know that the department is actively looking at the continued losses and, and, and continued um, things going on in the markets that, have, that producers have experienced because of COVID-19. I can't really go much beyond that. I'll tell you, we've got other disasters going on right now across America, wildfires, hurricanes, here in the Midwest, drought. We're still recovering from the August 10th derecho storm. So, um, yes, we're working on, uh, on, the, on CFAP and funding with the CARES Act, but we also have a lot of natural disasters going on across America right now. And as an implementer, that's where our focus is at, helping with the immediate needs. I was just in your state of Iowa yesterday. I saw some of that damage, and you do have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of issues to deal with, and producers have a lot on their plate and some tough decisions to make. Absolutely, um, I'm actually calling you from our farm in central Iowa. We live in Marshall County. Um, we were impacted uh, right directly in the path of the storm. And so it's, a, it's not an overnight recovery, right? Um, the crops are one thing, but we also have a lot of structural damage to homes, uh, barns, uh, empty grain bins, fencing. There's a lot of work that's got to be done um, in the weeks and the months ahead. There's talk about a possible disaster uh, proclamation or a disaster bill of some sort to deal with all these issues, whether it's uh, hurricanes, derecho, or wildfires. Uh, we'll wait and see what comes from that, but that will eventually probably come down to FSA administration of that, too, if it's passed. You know, um, I'll leave that up to Congress, but uh, FSA, we stand ready to help and support our producers in any way that we are called upon. So uh, we're ready to go when they need us. Yep, your your workload may be increasing here before long. Okay, if you would, give us, again, that phone number, the CFAP uh, call center number for anyone that uh, has a question about whether they're eligible for CFAP funds or, if so, what they have to do to access them. Absolutely. one 508 8364 And then if you go to farmers.gov slash CFAP, there's also great information. There's an application there. Uh, there's a calculator that producers can enter their information in uh, to help them calculate what their payment will be. All right, Amanda, thank you for being with us. Appreciate the update. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. Mm-hmm. Take care. Amanda DeYoung, the Iowa State Executive Director for the Farm Service Agency. Again, nationwide, $9.4 billion have gone out in the uh, – coronavirus food assistance program there is talk of another one coming after labor day but still no details on that have been made public as of yet we'll be keeping a close watch on that but again 9.4 billion nationally going out so far of cfap of the 16 billion that uh, was originally designated for that all right up next we have trade issues to talk about the getting ready for harvest and uh, taking a look at what the production numbers might be arlen suderman Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX joins us next here on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Time for our weekly visit with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. And Arlen, since we talked last week, 
There have been more purchases of ag products by China they continue to buy. Yeah, they've continued to be very aggressive in their purchases. Um, nothing today announced in the daily reporting system, and that was about the third time in the last month that we did not have an announcement. So it's become very common to have some type of announcement in mornings. So usually it's China buying corn or soybeans uh, or both, or maybe wheat, or and very involved there. So they've become aggressive buyers. That pattern continues. We anticipate that it's going to continue for a while longer. The question, I think, is primarily how long will it continue into the new year when cheaper supplies of soybeans become available south of the equator um, and uh, we start getting uh, competition corn as well. What is the actual corn import going to be? They have the TRQ quotas there limiting what they can import. Will they expand those? We should learn a lot about their 2021 TRQs for corn here over the next two to three weeks, and, and I think that'll give us a lot of insight into that question. What are your people in China telling you as far as what's going on there and, the, like, the rebuilding of their swine herd? Well, when you listen to the rhetoric from the government, you would think that they've almost rebuilt it. When you look at the numbers that they produce and start putting it together and piecing it together, and then you put that together with what we see in the feed side as well with our contacts in the feed industry, it would suggest that they're still maybe 30% below where they were previous to African swine fever as far as the number of hogs being produced. Um, that's, that means they've got a ways to go. Uh, we're still seeing imports at record levels, although we expect that to start slowing primarily because of port congestion uh, here in the months ahead uh, as they're requiring so much testing of meat coming in over their fear of coronavirus. Um, but we're still seeing um, just below record highs for pork prices inside of China. We're seeing piglet prices at setting new record highs this week. Um, all of the dynamics of the pieces of the industry would suggest that they're still 20 to 30 percent, and I'm leaning toward the 30 percent below where they were. That means, you know, at the worst of it, we felt like they were down 60 to 70 percent. So it means they have come back quite a ways, but they have a ways to go yet. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. Uh, we're going into harvest. I was just in Iowa yesterday. I've mentioned this several times. I was really struck by seeing the the damage firsthand. I mean, it's one thing to see pictures on social media, whatever, but when you're there and you see it up close, it really hits you uh, how devastating that storm was. And maybe not talked about as much, but the, the impact of the drought, the dry weather through much of Iowa, um, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of numbers uh, come out of there as we get into harvest. It, it truly is, and uh, separating the drought from the derecho damage is going to be difficult on a statewide basis. Both have caused significant damage. Uh, the problem with the derecho is not just the damage done on August 10th, um, but the recovery from it from those producers, what to do with the decisions that they have to make. Farmers farm because they bring life to stuff and they produce, and it's very difficult for them to be in the mode of destroying. We saw that earlier this year when livestock producers uh, were faced with the, uh, the, the 
terrible task of having to euthanize animals because they simply had no place to go with them. And now when we look at Iowa farmers having to till under corn um, because of quality problems and the inability to really harvest it, and for those who don't, even tilling it under has been a, quite a challenge because of all the debris there. Uh, for those who don't till it under, trying to harvest through that mess um, that just uh, a ball of debris, so to speak, is going to be such a challenge, and then the quality is going to be uh, significantly impacted with molds and uh, uh, light test weight and, and all the problems that go with it. So, uh, you know, the toughest part is those farmers, but the drought has continued to take away yield from Iowa and surrounding areas. And we see that in the crop conditions coming out each week and in the private yield estimates that come out. Well, we're about to replace these projections and, and estimates with actual uh, yield numbers coming from the field as harvest uh, gets underway. What are you expecting? Well, the trend is expected to be lower, and we certainly saw that with our private estimates. We've seen that with crop ratings, so we expect USDA to come down from its August estimates. The question is how far. I think the trade was a little bit disappointed that our numbers didn't reflect a bigger drop, but it's what our customers told us. And so we'll see what USDA finds. The big variable here um, that's going to be affected by both the drought and the deratio is what is the test weight and what are harvested acres. In Iowa, especially, and to some extent Illinois, we in test in t- we expect that harvested acres are going to drop, but by how much? We hear anecdotal stories of insurance people being out in the field with the farmer uh, trying to determine what's worth saving and zeroing out fields. We know that farmers have been working it under, but taking that anecdotal to actual data is hard to find. Um, Right now, I think the estimates that ProFarmer came up with on their tour of reducing Iowa by about 300,000 and uh, nationally by about 500,000 is probably the best numbers we have to this point on reducing harvested acres. Then the other question is seed size, both for corn and for soybeans. That will be the other big factor impacting yield, and that's very difficult to tell until you actually get the combine in the field. Yeah, a little bit of rain moving through uh, parts of the Midwest here as September kicks off. Remains to be seen if uh, that was too little too late. Maybe it'll help some beans, though. It'll help some beans. Um, Also, some of that late corn. I know Illinois had a lot of replanted corn, uh, some May planted corn that couldn't benefit from those showers. Um, But for much of it, it's too much, uh, too little too late. Yeah. What do you make of... What's going on in the general economy as we continue through COVID? I mean, the stock market's been uh, going wild. The Dow uh, hitting some, you know, new highs uh, at, while we're still going through this. What are your thoughts on what, what's that telling us? Well, we paused somewhat in July um, because of rising coronavirus cases, and uh, the numbers um, caused some increased restrictions, and so we saw fuel consumption really kind of level out um, and many of the economic indicators started to pause a little bit from the robust growth that we saw in May and June. Now the data is showing that we're starting to grow again. The uh, coronavirus numbers uh, are hit 10-week lows this week, so we're continuing to trend lower there. The economy is opening up again. 
Um, will we be able to get back where we were, and how quickly will that happen? That's the big question. Um, if you look at the areas that still have significant restrictions, those are major economic areas like New York and Los Angeles. Um, so that's a concern overall. But we still are seeing a pretty resilient economy. Now, as far as the stock market, does it adequately reflect that? <clears throat> uh, I think a lot of people would say it's probably inflated, just like we're seeing some inflation in the commodity numbers as well. And that's because there's a tremendous amount of money in the system. M1 money supply has just exploded over the last six months as uh, fiscal and monetary policy have pumped trillions of dollars into our economy to help in that recovery. At the same time, which, while we've seen M1 money supply grow by 35%, we've seen the dollar lose over 10% of its value. Those two are considered to be very inflationary when they happen like that. And so we have a lot of that money finding its way into the markets uh, as an inflation hedge. That's helping support the commodities and helping the grain and oilseed markets now uh, probably get a bigger response to the change in the fundamentals than what we would have expected six months ago. And finally, for those holding on to old crop, waiting for that chance to get it sold, what, what do you say to them? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that start to move. The phones are ringing more often here, um, and so farmers are taking advantage of that. Uh, it, again, it depends on where you're at, what your local harvest prospects are, how much you think you're going to need that storage space, and how aggressive you are in cleaning out the old crop. But there's a lot of grain yet to be sold at some point, and that's slowing down the recovery and part of why we're pulling back here this week after reaching some significant chart objectives. Adam, as you say, each situation is different. How much do they need to sell it? How, how urgent is it for bin space or, or whatever they need? Uh, that will dictate a lot of those decisions. Yeah, it certainly will. And uh, we had a lot of bin space that was also destroyed by the high winds, and, and so that's going to reduce the amount of storage available. Of course, the size of the crop needing to be stored has also been hurt. And uh, not getting a lot of mention is the loss of dryer space and the ca right. capacity to dry the crop as well. Yeah, that could be an even bigger issue for sure. All right, Arlen, thanks a lot. Uh, we'll talk again next week. Look forward to it. Thank you, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stone X. All right, so I've talked a lot about uh, seeing some of the damage. I certainly didn't see it all, but I got to see some of the damage uh, uh, in Iowa while I was there yesterday uh, from DeRatio, and uh, we talked with uh, several folks yesterday about that. And coming up next, a uh, conversation I had yesterday with an agronomist in central Iowa, what he is seeing, he's been out in the field and looking at the damage and talking with farmers, his assessment of uh, the ratio damage through Iowa. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Yesterday, while I was in Iowa, I talked with pioneer agronomist for Central Iowa, Chris Dowd. I asked him what he was seeing in the storm-damaged areas. So, uh, uh, you know, um, 
it has been a variable uh, condition across the state as far as the extreme of conditions that we've seen with the weather. Um, we, uh, we've, we've seen uh, a very large corridor through the state be affected by the August 10th uh, derecho windstorm that we're used to sometimes seeing a small path of damage like that from year to year, but nothing to the magnitude of you know 700 plus miles by nearly 100 miles wide. So it's, it's taken its toll. The good news is to see everybody coming together to kind of assist with the cleanup and kind of getting everything back in order, uh, knowing we've got a pretty long fall in front of us for what needs to be taken care of but uh it had a pretty significant impact on the corn crop maybe not as severe on the soybeans um but we're uh, we're working to uh you know as a company to uh do everything possible to ensure that we continue to be a reliable supplier with a lot of our production facilities and the industry being up and down this highway 30 corridor where we stand today um and, and i know a part of our strategy to being a reliable supplier that we get questions about is that we do diversify our production across the entire corn belt and we do sometimes leverage winter production uh resources if necessary with you know parent increases and in certain uh, commercial lines but uh, you can be assured that we're uh, we're doing everything we can to make sure and uh harvest and maintain what's still out there today and, and some areas have taken it better than others uh, but I think that's one thing you know we were just trying to be alongside the farmer to help uh, assist and advocate as much as possible what's going to need to be done to pick that crop up um, the drought you mentioned as well being another factor that's a little larger scope across the midwest maybe not as uh, 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 terminal initially of what they saw for damage here in central Iowa and points east and west. But but the drought has been a major player, you know, all the way back to June. We started to see parts of west central Iowa become uh, uh, pinched with moisture. Uh, kind of got some rains that maybe bought us a little time when we got into July. And then in the month of August, uh, uh, it was really a, a huge deficit compared to what we're used to seeing, especially the course of the last you know, decade or so, we've had a lot of big August rains that have really made the crop, and that just didn't happen this year. So, how was the crop performing uh, be, given that kind of stress before derecho hit? Mm -hmm. You know, we actually uh, had areas of drought that were holding on pretty well. I mean, there were, there's a pretty highly productive area we're standing in with the deep. Uh, glacial till soils that usually take a drought a lot better than they take a wet season. So, you know, it just depends. There were some areas that were holding on based on, uh, you know, rooting depth and soil fertility. Uh, and, you know, the low, lower managed farms would probably had given up yield a little quicker in many cases. Um, but all in all, I know, uh, for instance, I cover the far southwest quarter of Iowa. We were still holding on to an incredible amount of yield potential up until about four weeks ago. And we've just not gotten the range to sustain things. And just in the last couple of weeks, we've started to see a lot of crop deterioration and the signs of a premature black layer. Uh, ears coming down, you know, uh, uh, at half milk line, which is going to cause, uh, you know, a reduction in overall seed yield. And it may equate to drier corn and quicker harvest, but you'd much rather have the yield and, uh, and a nor normal har harvest schedule. Beans, it's going to be kind of a big question mark. We've got some great looking bean fields as far as uh, pod counts and uh, seeds initiated. It's just a matter of how much will they be able to fill because, you know, seed size can account for, you know, upwards of 20% of the overall yield. And, and uh, I got to believe that we're going to have probably some compromised seed size and how much of our early planning, early development will offset some of the late season stresses is yet to really be known. Then on that down corn, always a challenge. How much field losses are going to be? How much of it can they get out? 
it'll be interesting. I've talked to two farmers within the last week that have had over a thousand acres of corn zeroed out that will not be harvested. But you drive around, there's a lot of fields that are still capable of being harvested. Um, and so it's, it'll be varying degrees of damage. Uh, you know, this is a late season lodge, so a lot of the yield was close to being made, but late fill will be impacted by a reduced photosynthetic index with the plants not having a full canopy laying on top of themselves. Uh, we did expose some roots, and with the intense heat the last couple weeks, we've probably put more stress on those plants as they tried to commit to that year that they had. Grain quality is going to be a big question. That might be as big of a question as yield reduction if guys are out there and just the duration it'll take to pick that corn up with the reels and the poly snoots and some of the head height uh, automation that hopefully some guys can be equipped with to try and garner as much as possible. But pretty tough to, to take, say for certain, Mike, exactly what that'll be for yield loss, but it'll really just vary on a field-by-field basis. Then so. they got to find storage. That too. I, uh, I'm neighbors with one of the uh, CFOs at one of the main uh, uh, main co-ops here in central Iowa, and I think they lost or had damaged or lost more than 64 bins, which was nearly a third of their supply of of storage and so i've heard a similar figure if not higher uh at the farm gate as far as the number of bins that have been damaged even here on the site today so uh i i know this bagging business has been very popular with guys with bagging systems flat storage of course is probably going to be a need if we had had the crop that we initially looked like we were having as we went into the month of august but i I think we got just gonna have to get a little bit of luck on our side from mother nature that we're a little more mild and arid going into the fall for harvest and being able to pick that crop up and then also what will need to be put outside temporarily you know just getting maybe a little more arid condi- arid conditions to help preserve that grain before we find a home for it so and volunteer corn next year could be a problem that's been a common question too you know it seemed to be the number one weed for whatever reason here in iowa um we talked a little bit about you know the more we tank mix to control weeds the more antagonism that can be introduced to volunteer corn but we do know that's going to be a potential risk of uh, combating next year. And so if you're thinking corn on corn and those fields probably need to be moved up the, the priority list if possible to get as much yield harvested without loss. And then if there's tillage involved, being able to uh, hopefully uh, bury some of that and also get some of that sprouted before uh, the growing season ends would at least take some of it off the table for next year. So. That's Chris Dowd, a pioneer agronomist for Iowa, and uh, I talked with him yesterday while in Iowa. Um, and uh, again, it's going to be a challenging harvest for a lot of those folks. Some just not going to be able, as he said, they've zeroed out. Others will try to get out what they can, but uh, a lot of challenges for not only this year but into next year as as well. Some tough decisions for those producers. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Tomorrow we'll take a look at the uh, latest. Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Numbers. We're also going to talk of farm safety. Uh, Here we are headed into the busy harvest season, something we need to talk about, be reminded of, keep in mind as we head into this busy season. We'll be doing that and more tomorrow as we keep you up to date on the ag news and different events going on. Have a safe day. Thank you for being with us. Please join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA.